Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Today we gather in person in public worship of Almighty God. Upon this Christ the King Sunday, the conclusion of the liturgical year, on which we revere and announce the daunting promise of truth in Christ and the haunting personification of truth in Christ. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray together. Almighty and gracious Father, we give you thanks for the fruits of the earth in their season and for the labors of those who harvest them. Make us, we pray, faithful stewards of your great bounty for the provision of our necessities and the relief of all who are in need. To the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather, we gather in confession, quietly, individually, silently, to confess our sin and recognize our need for lament, for pause, for recognition of our frailty and our mortality. We, in the scripture's word, pray at all times with prayer and supplication, supplication for all the saints. As the choir guides us, may we bow in prayer. Let us pray. Here, good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks. A lesson from the Revelation of St. John, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 132 with the antiphon. Remember in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my decrees that I shall teach them, their sons also forevermore shall sit on your throne. Now, beloved, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria and the reading of the Gospel. according to St. John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, And for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth 
listens to my voice. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Faith often emerges in single steps, one step, one at a time. One step in faith for you and me comes in becoming more thankful, grateful, in putting on the Thanksgiving clothes and donning the Thanksgiving shoes of a spiritual gladness, a spiritual gladness welling up from a physical wellness, a Thanksgiving prayer in nature, in friendship, in service, and in spirit. Let us be thankful for the good gifts in nature. Our lessons from ancient scripture surround us with such a thanksgiving. They attribute directly to the Lord in a way we might not in our own time, both the weal and woe of natural cycles. Yet this spirit of thanksgiving could not be more evident in the Psalms, say, gratitude, for the good that is given in pasture and tree and vineyard. Even those of us dwelling mostly in an urban setting can from this autumn, warm mostly, dry mostly, pleasant mostly, receive such a sense of blessing and so a sense of gratitude. Seed time gives way to harvest as tears give way to shouts and joy. The long months of hidden growth, of change and development under the earth are a firm reminder that the future will look different from the past and from the present. Every autumn, every harvest season, we are offered such a healing reminder. In a prayer recently, we heard the petition that we might serve God with a quiet mind. A quiet and peaceable life itself naturally requires order, and we, when we have such, we are right to give thanks as we do this day. Especially in the later New Testament writings, there is preserved for us a mature recognition of the value of things done decently and in order, quietly, with quiet minds. We may step toward gratitude for what is given in nature. The body, the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, reminders of what Marilyn Robinson might call the givenness of things. Friday night, our Inner Strength Gospel Choir, just here, gave a compelling witness right in this chapel, in the heart and months and years of turmoil, yet a witness to thanksgiving, grateful praise. Let us also be thankful for friendship, as was our friend Max Coots, a country preacher of the First Water, a rural minister in the Unitarian tradition. He wrote, let us give thanks for a bounty of people, for children who are our second planting, and though they grow like weeds and the wind too soon blows them away, may they forgive us our cultivation and fondly remember where their roots are. For generous friends with hearts and smiles as bright as their blossoms, for feisty friends as tart as apples, for continuous friends who like scallions and cucumbers keep reminding us that we've had them, for crotchety friends as sour as rhubarb and as indestructible, for handsome friends who are gorgeous as eggplants and as elegant as a row of corn, and the other, plain as potatoes and as good for you. For funny friends who are as silly as Brussels sprouts and as amusing as Jerusalem artichokes, and serious friends as complex as cauliflowers and as intricate as onions. For friends as unpretentious as cabbages, as subtle as summer squash, as persistent as parsley, as delightful as dill, as endless as zucchini, and who, like parsnips, can be counted on to see you through the winter. For old friends, nodding like sunflowers in the even tide, and young friends coming on as fast as radishes. For loving friends, who wind around us like tendrils and hold us, despite our blights and our wilts and our witherings. And finally, for those friends now gone, 
like gardens past that have been harvested and who fed us in their times that we might have life thereafter. For all these, we give thanks. Let us further be thankful for service for those who have served the common good, the common shared good. The common, the shared good, the good in which all are included. Some of the deeper sources of our current American malaise, our current cultural anguish, lie in areas seldom if ever broached at length in essays, op-eds, articles, broadcasts, monographs, and sermons. One wonders, why not? Perhaps the needed reflective quiet, even after 18 months of COVID quiet, eludes us. Or maybe, by contrast, the enforced isolation of COVID has kept us from idle moments, side trips, family visits, and looks at how the other half lives or doesn't. It may also be that today's preacher has missed something or has not read what should have been read or what would make the case that, in fact, some of this has been addressed. You tell me. Rally-goers on the one hand and residents of academe on the other, though, do seem to share ranges of inattention to what is underneath, what lies down in the declivities of our mutual maelstrom. You rarely hear about these things as they portend or protrude or shape or generate and cause a 5149 country. Here is one for today, connected to service. Looking back, most of our early years in ministry in the 80s involved home visits where the photos of the wedding day showed a groom in uniform. A lot of weddings took place for a certain age cohort just after December 7th, 1941, or in the years following. There was haste in the arrangements, small gatherings in and after church, a few days of honeymoon, and then the long goodbye for some tragically a permanent goodbye. Decades later in the living room or den when the minister came to call for whatever reason or no earthly reason, there were brief stories about the wedding, vows and rings, cake and family. The photos were not meant as frontispiece for the rest of life in the next century, that next half century, what was to come, return, housework, children, illness, loss. The troubles that are usually the real impetus to faith, the real impetus to Christian faith, faith coming as it does almost entirely out of trouble. Nor were there endless stories in fact, to remember, the men involved said hardly anything about their service, the war, or anything related. Life is how you take it, was the spirit in the room under the mantle with the faded photos of white gowns and service uniforms. Two decades prior or so to those pastoral visits, 25 a week in a healthy pastoral pattern, these women and men had spiritual cousins who had raised us, who had formed us in the 1960s. Hiking in the winter with the scouts, traveling on youth trips or youth service trips, volunteering to counsel at summer camp with leaky cabin roofs and mediocre food, off-key campfire singing, and the measures of homesickness and combativeness that come with camp. They corrected us when we threw snowballs that hit innocent bystanders. They raised questions and eyebrows when the days of bell-bottoms and tie-dyed shirts came along. They did not order. They just asked. They wanted good things for their children and grandchildren and a world of justice and peace because they had come of age, many of them, when that hope for the world was on the line. It is in this sense that Tom Brokaw wrote a much-read book, The Greatest Generation. My wife's uncle Bill died in late December 1943, a recent hockey player and graduate of Northfield Mount Hermon. In the jungles of New Britain, 
just east of Australia. With him, 300,000 American soldiers died in World War II. Bill came to mind a few days ago, November 11th, here in this chapel sanctuary as we honored our veterans. This was a generation that saw in their lived experience what fascism could mean. They saw up close, marching through France or in the Pacific jungle or moving north in Italy, just what fascism, with its reliance on mendacity and violence, whether in the big lie or on January 6th, could do to them and to their comrades. Some, by grace, came home. And they came home sober about fascism. They didn't need to talk about it or pronounce about it or swagger about it. They'd put their bodies on the line and became, some of them, true heroes. As JFK said when asked how he became such a hero, it was easy. They sunk my boat. Can you hear the resolute humility, the chastened spirit, the wry humor in that little phrase? Without much fanfare, those who raised us and then were our first parishioners and lay leaders and congregants also had that resolute humility, chastened spirit, and wry humor, a hard-won love of country, and a willingness to serve the common good, the shared good. What is good for all? One unremarked reason that our politics and culture have gone so far afield, so far astray, it may be, is here. For that quiet presence, the strong, sturdy example of the greatest generation, in board meetings and church councils and political gatherings and family systems and college faculties and business chambers of commerce is now dead and gone. Their reticent silence is itself now silent. They who looked fascism in the eye have not been around to look others in the eye when authoritarian mendacity and violence have become tragically modes of political engagement. They aren't in the room, silently to frown, quietly to shake the head, gently to ask a question, and, and to be heard with honor. You knew these people, and you know that they would have had no use for the kind of short-sighted, wrong-headed disrespect for government, for due process, for legitimate democracy, that has descended upon us. One reason for our trouble, our travail, it may be, is that the greatest generation is no longer with us to remind, to correct, to balance us, not just or mainly in the great speeches of the day, but also and more so in civil society, in civil society now become largely uncivil and much, much weekend, in moose lodges and Baptist churches and county fair committees and Pinewood Derby rankings and Memorial Day ceremonies, and at Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day, offering a prayer at the Thanksgiving table. In one of our churches, there were eight adult Sunday school classes arranged over time by age with membership at each one of them of up to 200 apiece. The two strongest were made up of the GI generation on the one hand and the silent generation on the other. Those who had actually been in uniform, seen combat, suffered hurt, and looked fascism in the eye on the one hand, and those who had heard about it, had grown up with some secondhand memory, but themselves had not been there. It needs no saying that both groups were truly wonderful people, great people. Interestingly, though, the GI generation more liberal and the silent generation more conservative. 
One man from the older group, by then nearly 80, took me aside in our first autumn to say, well, you're going to be my pastor, so I need to tell you how I got to faith. I was 23 years old in a field in France, and I had to run across an open land with guns trained on me. And I said to God, if I live, I will serve you the rest of my life. Please let me live. And he did. And I did. He was like most of his generation, whose funerals we had in the years prior and the years after. They are dead now, most all of them, 99%. Or in the shadows of our life, in nursing homes, or at home, or alone. And one of the biggest unspoken reasons for our cultural and political mayhem is their absence. But I have not seen a single word written about it, and I have not heard a single word spoken about it. We need to conjure their voice, to honor their service by remembering their hard-won wisdom and saying in their absence what they would have said in their presence. We need to conjure their voice, to honor their service by remembering their hard-won wisdom and saying in their absence what they would have said in their presence. And let us, in conclusion, be thankful for the spirit of truth. John 18 puts Pilate in the spotlight, he who asks, what is truth, in a way that others along the way in the gospel have done already. Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, Thomas, and in a way, every one of us, too. The sharp, daunting witness of our gospel today challenges us with two assertions, two affirmations. They are part promise and hope, and part haunting and daunting warning. The first is that there is such a thing as truth, which, over time, comes out. The second is that for those seized by the confession of the church, for you and for me, that very truth is known elusively and dimly, but nonetheless known in Jesus Christ, Christ the King in spirit and in truth, he whose spirit and truth we are promised will have the final word, truth, truth through Christ. As David Brooks wrote so eloquently a day ago, we are judged by history not by the distraction and exhaustion of the moment. Facing the question, did we address the core problem of our moment? One step, a truly faithful step, if you will, a a move toward faith this morning, it may be, one step for us to take is the truth and goodness we can recognize in gratitude a spiritual gladness, a spiritual thanksgiving. So let us be grateful this Thanksgiving, as was Howard Thurman, who in so many things was 100 years ahead of his time 50 years ago. His famous poem concludes, Today I make my sacrament of thanksgiving. I linger over the meaning of my own life and the commitment to which I give the loyalty of my heart and mind the little purposes in which I have shared my loves, my desires, my gifts, the restlessness which bottoms all I do with its stark insistence that I've never done my best, I've never dared to reach for the highest, and the big hope that never quite deserts me, that I and my kind will study war no more, that love and tenderness and all the inner graces of almighty affection will cover the life of the children of God as the waters cover the sea. All these and more than mind can think and heart can feel, I make as my sacrament of thanksgiving to thee, gracious God, in humbleness of mind and simplicity of heart. Faith comes in single steps, one step at a time. And one step for you and me comes in becoming more thankful, grateful, in putting on the thanksgiving clothes and donning the thanksgiving shoes of a spiritual gladness, a gladness welling up 
from a physical wellness, a spiritual gladness in nature, in friendship, in service, and in spirit. Amen. come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church, that we all may be one. Grant that every member of the Church may truly and humbly serve you, that your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons, that they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world, that there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake, that our works 
may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble, that they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. Let us pray for our own needs and those of others. Almighty and eternal God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, mercifully accept the prayers of your people and strengthen us to do your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us and what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen, the evening comes, the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, happy lodging, and peace at the last through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> 